Good morning. We're going to be back in 1 Peter together this morning, uh, starting chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 6, if you want to go ahead and make your way there in God's Word. Uh, remember, Peter's writing to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey uh, that are facing persecution that's, uh, that's growing. Right now, a lot of it is just verbal uh, as they're experiencing uh, pushback and ridicule for following Christ. Uh, but Peter is writing, preparing them uh, for uh, enduring more uh, as they walk with and hope and trust in Jesus. And to do this, he's been writing them, as he tells us at the end of the book, about the true grace of God, and he's encouraging them to stand firm in it. And as we look in this chapter, what we're going to begin to see is that as Peter writes to us about the true grace of God and standing firm in it, it isn't just about what God has done about our sin. Peter's going to begin to show us that it also involves what we do about our sin because of what God has done about our sin, is that the effect that the true grace of God should have for us as we think about how we respond to sin, uh, especially as it relates to the potential persecution that we may face for following Jesus. So, look with me beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray and ask that you would use uh, your truth, your very word, uh, to work in the hearts and lives of your people. We need, we desperately need to understand the true grace of God, uh, to be taught about it, to be rooted in it, so that we can stand firm. And that's only going to happen through your work in our lives. And we pray that you would use these six verses this morning to accomplish uh, what you intend for them to accomplish in our hearts and our lives for the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So notice, the, the first thing that Peter draws us our attention to is that our attitude towards sin should be like Jesus' attitude toward sin. Notice how he, how he tells us that in verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. There he explicitly says it. Christ suffered in the flesh. Think and arm yourselves in the same way that he was. Well, what, what was Jesus thinking? 
we're going to arm ourselves in that way. We need to know that. Well, it gets to us understanding why in the world was he suffering. If you remember, Peter has written a lot about that so far, but just one verse that I think sums it up well, if we look back in chapter 2, verse 24, notice he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So what was Jesus' motivation? What was he thinking about? What was he armed with as he died and suffered on the cross for us? It was in order that he might bring an end to sin in our lives. He suffered to bring an end to sin. It's penalty that we would suffer because of it. It's power and it's uh, over uh, believers and our uh, suffering under its cruel oppression and domination of us. And one day, ultimately, when he returns again, to completely put an end to its presence in the world. Uh, Jesus' desire is to bring, and what he was thinking about was bringing a decisive end and change to our former relationship to sin. And uh, notice that that is what what Peter says here. Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, Peter's not telling us that we're going to stop sinning completely and that we're going to be perfect. Remember, that's not going to happen until Christ returns, we're resurrected, and he renews and restores all things. What Peter is talking about here is that decisive break of that relationship with sin. We've ceased from it, and he explains it in verse 2. So as to live, what does this ceasing from sin looks like? It looks like living the rest of the time in the flesh while we're here on this planet, and while we still have our, our bodies before we die, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So Peter is saying that that we too must have that same mindset, like, like Jesus, in seeking to live out a life that demonstrates and has, is striving to put an end to, to sin in our, our lives, to live out a decisive break in that relationship. That means that just as Jesus was prepared and focused on suffering in order to bring that about for us, then that means that we too need to be armed with that way of thinking, prepared even to the point of death to resist, continue to resist and move away from sin. It may mean that we suffer for pursuing righteousness. It may mean that we would suffer rather than sin, but because Jesus is armed in this way, he was doing that for us. Peter is saying that we should. We need to be prepared to wage war against sin, seeking to put it to death in our hearts and our lives and our actions. Notice that's even the language that Peter uses here. Arm yourselves. Prepare yourselves for battle and for war. That we need to seek to not view sin as just uh, uh, some unwanted guest, uh, some rude neighbor, but as something that is assaulting our hearts and our lives and that we are armed and prepared to battle it in the mind of Christ and just how he has focused just as Jesus was 
in living for the will of God. How are we going to do this? Recognize you can't do this yourself. This isn't a call just to gut it out. Notice that he's pointing us back to the gospel. What has Jesus already done for you? Walk in that reality and that truth. Jesus has secured your break with sin. You hope and trust in Jesus. Jesus died in your place. He died and suffered in order to uh, that you might die to sin. He broke that relationship. So Peter is just telling us, live that out. Out of that reality, fight and battle and put sin to death in your life because Jesus has already done that. Our attitude toward sin should just be like Jesus and a desire to bring it to an end. That means if we are going to continue to do this, then we must continue to grow in our understanding of the grace of God, grow in our understanding of who Jesus was and what he accomplished for his people, what is true of us, that we might know more the mind and the thinking of Jesus. How can we arm ourselves in this battle if we don't know what Jesus was thinking, what was motivating him, what was driving him? That means that that we as God's people should see and recognize that when we're called from the scriptures to be people of the word and to be in the word, this isn't some sort of legalistic checklist God is calling you to. This is how you arm yourselves. It's the means by which our minds and hearts are transformed, that we encounter and understand our God, that we go to him in prayer, pleading and calling out to the Lord in help that he would change our hearts, that he would change our minds, that our thinking and our attitude towards sin would be consistent with this radical break that Jesus secured for us and his people. That we would view and see that the sacraments, as we saw last week, going back to our baptism and realizing what it is that Jesus declared to us as we were baptized, as we approach the Lord's Supper. In our context, in our church, we have the Lord's Supper every week a continual reminder and experience of the blessings and the grace of God of realizing what Jesus was thinking, the length and the extent that he would go to to deliver us from sin, that we would die to sin through his death on our behalf. Is your attitude, is my attitude towards sin like Jesus' attitude? May the Lord give us that change of heart. But that's going to change then necessarily how we live. If we are putting sin to death, we're battling against it, our mind is armed against it, just as Jesus was, and we're living for God's will in distinction from sin, then that means we're going to, our attitude is going to be different. And our response to sin is going to be different from the world around us, won't it? And that's the next thing Peter points us to. It's not just that our attitude should be towards sin should be like Jesus' attitude towards sin, but our attitude towards sin should not be like the world's attitude towards sin. Notice what he says in verse three: "For the time has, uh, for the time is that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want." to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. 
Peter says we shouldn't live like this. Any amount of time that you've lived doing those types of things is enough. Live like that no longer. Do not live and do like the world lives and does. Uh, we should live differently. Our lives should be marked differently. Our approach towards sin and our reaction to it should be very different from the world around us. Notice these things even that Peter mentions and talks about. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Here Peter is talking about distortions of our desires, distortions of our wants, uh, distortions of sexuality and how the, God intended us to use our, our bodies, distortions of uh, God's good gifts that he's given us, whether it would be uh, our, our bodies or food or drink and abusing those things, uh, or even seeing here the lawless idolatry of exchanging uh, the, the one true living God and creator and worshiping the creature instead. Peter says these are things that should move away from us. And, and in the context, these churches would have seen this kind of stuff going all, all, all around them. These would have been common activities that would have taken place in family religious celebrations as they worshiped at the various cults, uh, whether it was uh, fertility cults or their guild trades, uh, the, the, these guild feasts. And their and their uh, their employment parties would have involved things like this of cult prostitution and of drunkenness and sexual drunkenness and sexual immorality, or the civic and and uh, community festivals days that they 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 had. Uh, do you see uh, overlap here of, of seeing a lot of these things still happen in our society? Now people might not be worshiping the gods of Rome and ancient Greece like they were there, but they still have uh, gods and things that they are worshiping and orienting their lives to that is not the one true and living God as revealed to us through Jesus Christ. You may experience the temptation when you go to a family celebration, remembering how your family who may not know Jesus lives and acts differently and when you go to these family celebrations, you may be tempted to live and to act and partake in things that you know are contrary to the will of God. And Peter is saying, our lives should look different. We should have celebrations, and the way that we celebrate should look very different from the world. Or when you go to your company parties, uh, do, do, are you, do you look different? distinctly different in the way that you participate and engage with alcohol that may be there or men or women co-workers? What about the our, our teenagers? Prom is getting ready to go uh, go on and happen or various parties that people may, ha may have. Do you realize that the calling that Jesus has placed on your life means uh, that you should live and participate and engage in those things very different from the world? You shouldn't just blend in and do what they do because that's what teenagers do. No, Peter says you are different in your attitude. You are an alien, a stranger. You've been brought into the family of God. You should live and celebrate different. The way that we have and participate in national holidays or parties or events or activities, there should be a distinct Christian way of doing it that does not go into the excesses of our world 
our approach to sexuality must be different. And it's not that, they notice that the rationale that Peter gives us here, it's not just because, oh, well, uh, uh, there's these these harsh rules and you got to do this if you want to be pleasing to God. Notice, no, the, the rationale Peter gives us is this isn't who you are anymore. Look at, look at what he says. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Who's he writing to? He's writing to those who are Gentiles. But Peter is saying because of what Jesus has done in your life, Your identity is no longer chiefly Gentile. You are a member of the people of God. That is not who you are anymore. Therefore, don't live that way. Uh, 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 your, Your identity has changed. You've been made a part of the people of God, a people for his own possession, who are precious in his sight. He delights in you and he's using you in this world. It's because of that that you should live differently. You are no longer primarily a member of your family of origin. You are a member of the family of God. You no longer are primarily uh, uh, work... uh, uh, known for as your vocation, but you work on behalf of the Lord and what you are doing. Uh, you aren't just an American teenager. You are a son and a daughter of the King, and you are to live a different and distinct life. You, Peter isn't calling you to do this in order to earn or merit anything before our God, but it's rooted in the grace of God, of what Jesus has done, and therefore we should live differently. But notice that Peter, as he addresses the heart in this, uh, it's, it's not just about the not doing these things, but it's also about not wanting to do them. That there's a change in, in our attitude towards sin of where it's not just that we don't do it, but there's a, a growing change and a desire to not do them anymore. We shouldn't want to do these things anymore because we have been made new. Look at what he says. For the time that that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Their passions, in verse 2 it tells us, that they're oriented according to their human passions, their fallen human passions. This is what they desire. This is what they long for. This is what their heart craves and is pursuing. But we should be different. We have been changed. Our hearts have been renewed. Our relationship with sin has been uh, radically changed and transformed. Our hearts have been made new. And so we should begin to see our heart be motivated and longing, not distorted human passions, not for these uh, um, uh, sinful immoral uh, passions and things that, 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 that wanting the same thing that the world wants. But what we should want and long for in our lives, it tells us in verse 2, is to see the will of God accomplished in and through us. Again, how is this going to happen? Not just through you gutting it out, but it goes back and rooting it into the gospel, understanding who you are. You aren't an American anymore. You're not oriented and defined by our cultural norms. 
You are a part of this, the, the people of God. Your citizenship is in his kingdom. We must live different. Our attitude towards sin must not be like the world's anymore. We must be oriented and directed towards our God. And if we aren't seeking and calling and praying to him to change us, then that will not happen. We need to call upon and be dependent upon him, rooted and understanding and growing in the grace of God, that we will recognize the sinfulness of sin, that it will become more appalling and disgusting uh, and, uh, and, and ugly to us, and that what our hearts will crave and want is what our God craves and wants, what Jesus craves and wants, to live for our God and our King. So Peter tells us that, that our, our attitude towards sin should be like that of Jesus. Our attitude towards sin should not be like that of the world. But lastly, he tells us that we need to be prepared for the response. Look in uh, verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they Melania. Peter's saying we need to be prepared that when we live differently, when we live no longer as citizens of this uh, uh, sinful and rebellious world, but we live as citizens of our Father's heavenly kingdom and as His sons and daughters, that the world will react uh, with shock and surprise. It'll be confusing to them. And, and their, their reaction and their response will be many times to malign and ridicule us. We need to be prepared for that response, that we may be laughed at, that we may be mocked, that we may be ridiculed. If you used to, uh, some people's testimony is one of where that was the way that the, you used to live. And you're around these, uh, these, uh, your, your former friends and, uh, and, and, uh, associates that you spent all your time with, you've come to know Christ and now your life is different. And you know the difficulty that it is to be back in that environment and to not do those things anymore and the questions that might come up or the ribbing that could occur of people of saying and asking, well, are you afraid? Are you weak? Are you a chicken? Why don't you want to do this stuff anymore? Maybe you'll, you, you are maligned and people beginning to say, well, you're not any fun. You used to be fun, but something's changed. Um, do you not really want to hang out with us anymore? Maybe it begins to, to be um, uh, a different response where they begin to say, well, you're, are you too good for us? Are you self-righteous church boy or church girl? Do you not love us anymore? Maybe in your workplace or on your team, your sports team, because of the things that you've refused to participate in and that you're not going to do anymore or do because God is not pleased with those things. That's not what he's called you to do, that you're accused of not being a team player, that you're accused of not being committed to your job or to do what is necessary for the team to win or to the relationship that you're in from your boyfriend or your girlfriend or maybe you're just told, well, I guess you don't have what it takes to be successful in this in industry or on this team or in this relationship as my wife or my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Uh, you, you see, uh, they may uh, malign us and begin to attack us. Why? Because we're not worshiping their gods. And there's a, there's a threat to that. 
Uh, because really what is underlying is they're beginning to see and be convicted by the God of this world through our actions as they begin to realize and address deep down that they understand that they're not supposed to be doing that the things that they're supposed to be doing, that they're doing, that they should be seeking to honor and worship and glorify God with their lives and the things that he's given. And so sometimes what may happen is that we begin to be attacked verbally, sometimes even physically. Even look at what Peter says in verse 6. We need to be prepared for this response. In verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Uh, Peter is saying that there are some who in this community who are already dead. Some of them have been punished and suffered, not widespread at this, but some people have already died due to uh, the, the, the judgment and the, the abuse and the persecution that's happened in this community. And we need to be prepared that we might even go to the point of the response of the community around us isn't just verbal, it isn't just shame, it isn't just a shutting down of our, our social connections or our influence in the community, but we may suffer pain and death. But we need to be prepared for the response of the world. But also notice, Peter says, be prepared, be ready, anticipate the response of God. It says, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They malign you. But notice what he says in verse 5, God's response. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Uh, first, the thing that we see is that, that God will judge them. He's ready to do it now. Uh, it's not happening presently. Uh, but the day is coming when whether you're still alive when Jesus returns or whether you've died, you will face and go before the judgment seat of Christ. And those who malign and reject God and abuse and respond in this way to his people, it tells us that God will judge, will punish, will exact his ju the just penalty for that rebellion and treason against those. But also notice what he says. That God's people, he's going to judge the world who rejects him, but for his people, God will deliver us. That will be his response to our continued trust and hope and entrusting ourselves to him. The, the gospel was preached even to those who have died or who are dead, that, that they're judged in the flesh the way people are, or they, they may experience uh, persecution that leads to death. But they will not, or they that the gospel is preached to them so that they might not live in the so that they might live in the spirit the way God does. Here again, that same contrast of before living in the uh, the, the realm that's dominated by by the flesh and rebellion, and then again talking about this uh, this um, uh, reality and realm that is dominated by the spirit. Here, Peter he's talking about the resurrection and new life in uh, God for eternity. Not talking about spiritual existence. Remember, it's clear that the resurrection includes the body. But what Peter is telling us here is that death is not does not uh, uh, isn't a way out for anyone. Death doesn't exempt unbelievers from the judgment that they will face for their rebellion against God, and death will not rob believers of the promises that God has given us. Death is not the end, and God's ultimate response will be to vindicate his people. God's ultimate response will be to judge 
those rebels and to deliver us from our sin and our suffering and our death and our pain. Peter says, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. We need to endure. We need to constantly be pointing and directing our hearts and understanding who Jesus is, what he's done for us, so that our response to sin will be like that of Jesus. We need to root ourselves in the grace of God, recognizing and understanding who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and who we are, so that our attitude towards sin will not be like that of the world, but it'll be like Christ. And we will not live that way because that is not who we are anymore. We've been made new. And that we'll be prepared and ready for the response. The world will reject us and malign and criticize us. But our God is pleased with us because of who we are in Jesus. And death will not separate us from him. They may harm our bodies. They may even take our lives. But God is the ultimate victor. And we will experience all the blessings and benefits of his promises that Jesus has purchased for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you continue to work in the hearts and lives of your people. Sustain us. May we live holy lives. May we be holy and perfect just as you are through the work of your spirit in our lives. Continue to work your purposes in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, that we would arm ourselves, putting sin to death. May we hate it and long and crave for your work and your will to be accomplished and done in and through us. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.